Why does God hate me so much? Do you want us to answer that? Episode number 18, and I'm back, kind of. Still a little little under the weather. I mean, I feel all right. I can't, I still am a little bit short of breath occasionally and coughing every now and again, but that was not, that was not a fun, I don't know, I've, I've had a better time. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? It was, uh, it was what, what it was, I guess, but the, uh, the bug hit work pretty hard. A lot of our residents at the facility got sick and um, you didn't make it, but um, most most pulled through. It's a real thing for what it's worth. And it sucks. Still still, still affecting my lungs a little bit, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. We're all here, except for uh, the youngster, Devin. He's, he's getting uh, body cavity search at TSA right now. Somewhere yep. in Florida. The difference, though, between him and most people is he's enjoying it. Yeah, he is enjoying it. He brought his yeah. own uh, examination gloves and KY jelly. He likes <laughs> yeah. the ribs. The fingers are ribbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. He planted a 1S lipo up there. <laughs> it's electric, man. Who am I, who am I kidding? 2S. <laughs> 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 we miss you, Devin. So what's going on, guys? Anything new and exciting happen this week? Who wants to uh, who wants to go first? Well, my life's boring, so can I go first? Yeah. All right. So better not have another no fly. You promised. I mean, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. Um, but I you have know. not been missing Devin. So that's that's something I've been doing this week is definitely not thinking of him whatsoever. That's cool. That's, that's cool. wow. That's yeah. dark. Yeah, real dark. Yeah. Who's Devin? De- I don't know. A new guy, old guy. I have not been flying because it's cold as shit where I am yeah. right now. I mean, it's not that cold. Someone's gonna yell at me. Go, oh, I'm um, flying twenty <laughs> degrees and ten degrees. That's cool, yeah. dude. Awesome. I don't like flying <laughs> low to the ground when it's that cold. My fingers don't move quick. Uh, it just it's not fun. And the whole point's to have fun. So I've been playing around with toy cars indoors, like we talked about, and uh, painting shit. And that's been my life. Been good. Nice. So you're you're a painter now, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Please explain. Airbrushing. So little clear bodies for cars and stuff. I don't know why, but I figured that looks hard. Let's try it. (laughs) And just like everything that is hard, I obsess about it. That sounds really bad. Please don't use that against me. (laughs) Okay, so yeah. you airbrushed your car canopies. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, yeah I want to try a helicopter canopy too. 
Yeah, I was going to say, now you know how. You got to try that. Exactly. Did I've got you, some old... Yeah. Are you new to airbrushing? Did you go get an airbrush? Yeah, dude. I am three weeks old in airbrushing and painting stuff. All you my experience didn't. before that is Krylon. Did you make a big old mess, you noob? Oh, the first one? Totally fucked. <laughs> <laughs> is it running and stuff? Well, you're supposed to use this stuff called liquid mask, right? Or you paint it on, then you razor blade the shapes you want, and you peel off the areas you want to paint. Yeah. And you work your way through the design like that. Well, me being me, incredibly impatient, was like, well, Plasti Dip's basically the same shit, right? (laughs) (laughs) I went and did one with Plasti Dip. And that shit actually worked out, believe it or not. But the first spray, it was really cold in my garage. So it kind of just went like and spattered all over the body and left these black dots. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that big of a deal. So I thought, so I finished spraying the Plasti Dip, layered it up cut all my lines and everything and I started painting and it was looking sweet. I was proud of myself. And then when I peeled off the last part and sprayed the white, you could see all those little splooge marks from the very first time I sprayed it. And it yeah. showed through the white. I was like, damn it. It screwed the whole thing. But I don't know. It looked cool for a first attempt. Then I tried the real shit. I did it way too thin. Got about halfway through it and I was picking off like millimeter by millimeter of liquid mask and I got to the point where I was like, screw it smash the thing through the trash. I'm like, I'm done. I'm getting another one. <laughs> oh. Fuck this paint job. Oh, totally, dude. It was bad. It was like three hours doing that. And then so, I did, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous. I'm not going to lie. And here's why. I wanted to get into some airbrushing um, for another hobby that I do. Mm-hmm. We but all know I couldn't trains. Get, well, I could, it trains, yes. And, and some other <laughs> stuff, some boat stuff that I make. But... I couldn't get past the research phase. How did you, did you just go buy whatever they had? Yeah. So I found paint first that I wanted to use and it was specific model paint. So I was like, all right, cool. What do I need to spray this? And it said, you need a, you know, 0.5 millimeter tip airbrush. Dope. 0.5 millimeter airbrush. Find one on Amazon. (laughs) Buy it. Cool. How do I get a hose attached to that? Shit. Buy a hose attached to it. I just worked my way from like, the paint all the way to the end. And I already, wow. already had a compressor in my garage, like a big, like a 60 gallon, I think 80 gallon wow. air compressor. So I just tapped into that. But let me tell you, trying to tap that into a uh, airbrush hose was a pain yeah. in the ass because I, I did not buy the right fitting. So I ended up making it work with shit that I got from Lowe's. Did you get a regulator for the airbrush and stuff? I did. Yep. So it has Dang. a regulator on the tank. I got a secondary air regulator that made it smooth out a little bit. I bought like six paint guns from Harbor Freight, um, all different nozzle sizes just for shooting like large colored uh, areas and stuff. And I just went two feet first and nice. I said, fuck it, let's figure it out. So now you, your, your paint like corner looks baller. So you got to fake it till you make it essentially right now. But you got all the things you need, right, to learn. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm making less mistakes as I go. I think I'm on body number like four now. After all these fuck ups <laughs> and I'm learning about nice. the different paints now. So like last night I had a, a real hard time with pearl paint cause it goes on super thin and I guess you're not supposed to paint it thick enough not to see through it. You're supposed to just do like a, a clear coat of pearl and then back it with the same color. That's just a normal color. Yeah. I didn't know that. So I globbed this shit <laughs> and it's dripping and pouring. I'm like, Oh fuck me. What is it going to do? And it gets to the point that it pours off so much that it's clear again like there's no paint on it i'm like what the fuck am i doing 
<laughs> so like those kind of learning curves I'm, I'm messing with now, but, but it's fun. It really is fun because uh, yeah. I've never been able to do it before. And I'm, I feel like I'm making progress, which that's what it's all about, I guess. And I'm, I'm warm when I'm doing it. That's, you know, I'm not outside freezing my ass off. So yeah, that whole cold thing, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about that too. Cause I used to be that guy. Like I was that guy that would make fun of, you know, when I would hear like Nick say, oh, it's 40 degrees. I'm not, the wind's blowing. I'm not doing that shit. And I'd be like, Ugh. but dude, I get it. It's, it's relative. Cause I'm the same, it's the same way here. It's not, you know, <laughs> my idea of cold is below zero. Like, well, it used to be anyway. Not anymore, man. It's like uncomfortable and I don't it's like it. Weird. Is it like the humidity or something or I like think it, it feels is, colder dude. than it is? Well, my wife was in Montana just, just the other day. She flew out there and it was like 13 degrees. And I said, well, how did it feel? And she's like, you know what? It was great. It didn't, it, you know, it didn't, she didn't have a coat on. And it was like, yeah, the I mean, it's 13. Air, sure. And, I'm, you know, I don't know. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know what the, it must be the humidity. It's got to be. The, 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 yeah. uh, it just makes it, it like chills you to the bone. I don't know, man. Yeah. But yeah. Not fun. Not fun at all. Someone's going to make fun of me for sure, though, but that that's fine. I did that shit back in the day when I lived in New York, flew in the snow every single day. I'm, I'm done. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Rob, on the other hand, he's diehard. Did you fly this week, Rob? I did fly this week um, some. So, but um, yeah, dude, I'm kind of where you guys are, too, with the cold. I'm getting there, dude, because... I'm not as diehard anymore. I'm more like try hard or try a little bit to fly in the, in the <laughs> cold, right? Um, there's been a couple of snaps here this last week where it, it was cold, like zero or 10 or five or something like that, you know? Um, but it's, it's weird because we just got this huge like snowstorm that came through um, like in the middle of the week. So, I mean, more what I was dealing with was just there being this enormous amount of snow that I had to deal with. And so I spent most of my like comfort zone time outside last week doing shit like fucking shovel in my driveway and getting rid of the gigantic pile the plow puts out at the end and, mm-hmm. you know, making sure the mailman can get in or if someone gets hurt, a guy could come up with a stretcher to the front door. And that's a lot of work. You know, I got a kind of a long driveway and I don't have a plow. So whatever. And I got to, plow out and I could shovel out an area in the back for my dog and for me to land on and stuff like that. And so I spent, uh, you know, three days out of last week shoveling and then shoveling again and then again, cause it's snowing like crazy. Right. Um, so like heavy snow, like people are losing power, fucking wires drop, you know, power drop cables and shit drop, like breaking off people's houses and tree branches falling and stuff. But I got lucky. None of that happened to me. So in between that, I got, you know, some flights in. I flew the Goblin once or twice, I think twice maybe. I flew the T-Rex 600 once, but I uh, flew the Oxy outside two or three times and then just down in my basement, you know, doing like orientation training and stuff like that, you know. But uh, um, dude, this week coming here, by the time people hear this recording, it's going to be like negative 30 up here in Minnesota. So I guarantee there's a high probability that I'll have a no-fly, at least a no-outdoor fly next week because that Siberian polar vortex is about to rock all of us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, so I mean, I, so yeah, I mean, I did get, um, to have some flying, did a shit ton of sim time as well. 
uh, more practice in autos, trying to take some of those tips that we got from Scott last week and got from Devin. Um, and that seems to be working. You know, I still have a hard time. I'm trying on purpose to do more of a higher up kind of a 45-ish degree angle uh, auto, but I seem to just degenerate into a more or less forward flight float down, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I got a little more to go there to figure it out because um, I keep losing all my head speed if I come down. I don't, it seems counterintuitive, but if I come down too steep, I, I just must not be working the collective uh, like I need to be or something, you know, I'm, 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 I'm totally okay with doing it if I'm flying forward fast, but if I'm coming down, like I'm just trying to hover it down, it seems like I lose all my forward speed and then I'm done. And I try the tip of tipping forward rumble? and yeah, well, you're right. And I'm trying the tip of tipping forward and stuff, but I think what's happening is what, when I'm doing that, I'm like, oh shit. And then I'm like subconsciously giving it collective. So, you know, tipping that disc forward while you're descending and adding collective isn't going to do anything for you. You're just going to still bleed off that head speed, you know? So I got to figure out how to pay attention to that left stick when I'm doing that. You got to so, get that noise too, that, that rumble kind of vibration noise. If you're not getting it, you're not speeding up the blades the whole way down. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily my sim will kind of simulates that sound, you know, um, I just got to turn my speakers up. Cause to be honest, since you, now that you mentioned that I haven't really been paying attention to the noise and I probably should more, um, that'd probably help a ton. I'm sure. But. Did you not listen? Yeah, most most of it sound. <laughs> I did. I mediumly listened, but we, there was a lot of information, man. My brain I is mediumly old. listened. <laughs> yeah, <dude. laughs> I love that shit. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, so that's what I did in the heli land in between that, um, I helped my son replace the battery post on his battery. Um, he, uh, got the wrong ones cause they didn't want to listen to me at the first time. And so he's like, I'm going to go put these on with a friend. I'm like, all right, have fun. Calls me up. He's like, yeah, so I don't know what's wrong, but we put the battery posts on. And now every time I try to start it, there's this big spark that comes off the negative terminal terminal. So we got the other battery terminal on there and he's fine now. So, okay. So that's my story. I suppose um, I did not have to have a no fly. And I think if, if I'm re- keeping track here, I might be the only guy that has not had a no fly since we started doing this podcast again. So we're what, not keeping uh, track. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am. So there <laughs> you're keeping, you're judging us. <laughs> yeah. What's going on, no. Rob? You're judging us. Yeah, dude. Come on now. I'm more addicted than you guys. I must be it. You're more of a crack addict. Yep. Yep. You'll, you'll suffer the cold. I will. Yep. Get the front, the yeah. thick frostbite fingers. I can't fly in gloves. I've tried and I just feel oh. like I'm just going to crash or let yeah. go of the sticks and crash and get tangled up. So I have yeah. to do it without the gloves. So. Yeah. That's no, that's no fun, man. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and go. And then, uh, uh, Nick, you can go after, cause I think you've got some exciting news. I got all kinds of shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. So I actually flew this week. Nice. All right. My wife went to Montana just to, just for like literally 24 hours and flew back. That's a whole other story. Is she a spy or something? <laughs> she flew out to Montana to pick up her son. Word. So he flew to Montana and then flew back to Pennsylvania. And in the meantime, got stuck in on the way back. She was supposed to be back Friday. Didn't get back till Saturday. So I wake up Saturday and dude, I'm looking outside. I'm like, it looks beautiful out there. Like the sun is shining. No wind. 
yet. And I'm thinking, this is really going to be, this is going to be a good day. And I walked outside and I didn't, you yeah. know, I had a hoodie on. I'm like, yeah. This is the day. This is the day, man. And, and <clears throat> so I took the Soxos out and <sighs> didn't have the guts to hit the kill switch. So no, I didn't try any autos. Yeah. I just can't bring myself to do it. And I don't really understand why, because I never struggled with it before. Like it was just not an issue. There's just a lot of dust on that shelf in your brain still. There is. So I was working on um, kind of those slow circuits that we had talked about, uh, you know, that trying to put that, that craft into that, into those orientations that. Yeah. The uncomfortable the ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I focused on that. But, but the thing is, I went out and the, the day started off nice. I mean, it was nice. I mean, the weather didn't change. It didn't all of a sudden get colder or cloudy or, well, it got a little windy, but not much. But after about a half an hour, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, it just got unbearable. And I couldn't take the cold anymore. I was like, man, this, this is really, I'm not having a good time here. This weather sucks. I mean, it's just cold. Yeah, and, down in your core. But it's, you know, what was it? It had to have been about, I don't know, 38, 40 degrees, maybe 41. Yeah. I suppose and if that's you look like at the springtime weather. Seem bad. Yeah. No, don't I mean, seem it, you know, in the summer in Montana, or, you know, in the spring in Montana, that's, that's pretty common. And, you know, all the way up to October is about when it starts to get that temperature typically. And we would fly and it wasn't a big deal, <laughs> but not necessarily still kind of dealing with the cough. And I just, I don't know. So I got about three flights in before I finally just said, I can't do this anymore. I just, it's too damn cold. My fingers were starting to get numb and. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had to pack it in. So, but I, I I had every intention of trying an auto. Like, I was like, like yep, this is, I'm going to do, I mean, I can do this. Uh, I've done it many, 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 many times. I, <laughs> I would just set it up and there was no wind to speak of. So I could have gone either side. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I hit the switch, but I would like, you know, almost instantly like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try it. Oh, no, no, no. So it was a little bit of that. And hey, that's all good, though. Well, there was one of the planker guys there, and it was um, one of the planker guys that was there the day I blew up my battery. Oh, yeah. You don't want to have two fails right in front of a plane guy. <laughs> the same plane guy? You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, uh, he, he, he reminded me of my battery um, faux pas. Asked me if I figured out what happened. Did you figure out what went wrong? <laughs> nope, nope. Yeah, nope. I don't know, man. I don't know. You, you know how it is. These these Chinese batteries. Something tells me in his head that that to him that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I fessed up. I said, "Yeah, I just it was just a brain fart." I mean, yeah. I, uh, that's all there was to it. But anyway, so got that out of the way. Got some flights in finally. Nothing too exciting to speak of but then <laughs> i got i think i mentioned i got my rc japan order in uh the motor and the pipe yeah yeah that's right and i just got the other day the final piece for that puzzle which is the uh, rpm sensor the backplate rpm sensor so i'm going to be able to kind of continue that build that one's basically about halfway done and i still haven't brought i i need to wire up my ESC into the 700 Kraken. 
I still haven't done that. And I've been bitching about it for, I don't know, three weeks now. I keep threatening to send it to somebody to do it, but just haven't done it. Just like a band-aid. You just got to turn that uh, solder gun on and just go. Yeah, I need new. I need a new tip. I burnt my tip out. It's just, I don't know. I, I just don't like to solder anymore. I used to solder all the time, but just just needed to get done. And then I also ran across a couple deals on some servos and a Scorpion motor for the Soxos. So I nice. All all I need is one more ESC. <laughs> so I'd like to get a. 200 amp ESC, a Tribunus or something. I, I'm just familiar with that ESC more than anything. Nice. There you go. And um, that's about it, other than getting ready for Christmas and uh, going back to work after being sick for a week and a half. And Yeah, glad you're doing better, dude. Yeah, it's yeah, I, I, I'm not back to 100%. It's, um, <clears throat> I still feel pretty tired. You sound way better, though. That's good. Yeah, I just, I can hear it. I mean, I heard it when I was listening to the tracks from last week, even though I only said like five <laughs> words the whole week or the whole episode, I'm still, it's, it's just this kind of shortness of breath, which is leaving me kind of, I don't know, weaky. If if you just feel weak and tired. So yeah. Yep. They tell me it's going to clear up. There's no issues. They've taken x-rays. Uh, they're calling it the long COVID. That's what my doctor's calling it anyway. I don't know. Got to give those polyps a chance. Got it. They got it get used to sucking in air again man <clears throat> yeah that's really about it i'm uh looking forward to christmas that's coming up yeah everybody's excited about christmas oh yes for sure dude i don't really i haven't in the past i haven't really ever done christmas uh wife's into it big time everything's decorated and got one two three trees up and two trees up in the house that's excessive <laughs> nice i would have got a forest going on over there <laughs> My cats love them. My cats love the Christmas tree. <laughs> Have they knocked one down yet? They haven't knocked it down, but they sure are really good at taking ornaments and packing them away and hiding them. <laughs> nice. So <laughs> she'll find ornaments for the tree that's down here upstairs all the time. They must think it's Easter. Yeah, it's like their little personal play- playground, man. They love it. So that's... uh. That's kind of my week other than getting over COVID and uh, getting back to work and getting back to wrenching so I can get some of these. I'm done, by the way. I was talking to the guys before we started recording. I'm done buying helicopters. I do need to get a gasser, but I've got plenty. I do not need to buy any more helicopters. I just need to start flying them. This year? Well, I need a gasser. <laughs> I I, this year, no. <laughs> this year's over for the most part. I will have a gasser before spring. I don't know which one. And of course, here in a few days, what is it, about 15 days from now, 16 days from now, I'm going to be ordering a Touch pre-order. Nice. And I'm pretty pretty excited about that. And uh, that's about it. How about you, Nick? Uh, yeah, it's been kind of an eventful week. Uh, unintentionally. Like, I really, I, I kind of want to come to the recording and say, oh, it was a really boring week. Because, you know, we had wife getting arrested in foreign country. Yeah. And then this week's got here too. Um, so it's tough to it's tough to top that one. I don't know. This one, I mean, it doesn't really top it, but it's equally weird. So on <laughs> Tuesday of last week, I went to fly with uh Thomas Mabry. Thomas is uh, an airline pilot, so he's on a non-traditional schedule. So we often try and get out midweek and go fly at uh 
Atlanta RC, which is this great small club in the center of, uh, not quite downtown, but right on the edge of the city of Atlanta. And I show up to the field and I pull in and everything's fine. I don't notice anything. And I just start flying. And then literally 10 or 15 minutes later, Thomas pulls in and was like, did you see those tires on fire in the road? I was like, uh, no, I, I didn't see <laughs> tires on fire in the road. I think I would have remembered that. He's like, yeah, and there, there, there were cops kind of coming from everywhere or something like that. I was like, no, nah, I have no idea what that is. He's like, yeah, that was weird. So whatever, we don't think anything of it. We both start flying. And uh, all of a sudden, these police helicopters show up. And at first, it's just one police helicopter. And he's circling over, I don't know, I'm going to call it the eastern side of the field. I'm probably all turned around, but whatever, it doesn't matter. So we're like, well, that's weird. And he's kind of low. I don't know, maybe 400, 500 feet, something like that. So we're feeling a little cautious, but we both had a couple of small helis with us. So we start flying the micros around and goofing off and doing circuits and shenanigans and stuff. And uh, then a second police helicopter shows up I'm like, well, this is weird. Why are there two? And they're, they're obviously in a search pattern, but they're right on the edge of the field, kind of over the tree line. We're like, huh, this is weird. And then eventually a third police helicopter shows up also on the tree line, all in like three separate, but almost overlapping circles with each other. So we basically got like, like the east side, the north side and the west side of the field. There's, there's, you know, helicopters real low. So, you know, we both had some 700s with us and we decided that that was probably a bad idea with three police helicopters flying kind of low. So we kept flying until we ran out of packs for the small stuff. And then we were like, well... All right, I tell you what, let's just do real low stuff with the 700s to kill our pack. So we just did some circuits and some, you know, low, slow deck work kind of stuff, just messing around, trying some things. And then decide to call it quits and, and leave instead of, you know, keep going and charging packs and stuff. And I had, had really seriously, this was the Tuesday after we did the episode on auto rotations, been planning to do autos. So I, I sent a video to these guys of all these police helicopters circling around like, I don't know. This feels like a legitimate excuse not to practice autos when you don't want to hit the police <laughs> yeah. helicopter circling over your head. Yeah. So there's easier kinda, ways to not do autos. You don't have to call right? the cops. <laughs> yeah. Don't call the cops on yourself, man. <laughs> the, the FAA is going to come get you, dude. So when I go to leave the field, we like pull out of the gate and everything's normal until we get to the edge of the field with the first kind of cross street that runs north south next to the field. And I look down there and it's blocked by police and there's about 30 police cruisers parked along the side of the road. I'm like, huh, damn, that's weird. Wonder what's going on. And then I drive a little further further and there's a parking lot that is clearly a staging area for a massive police operation. There's like the giant command center trailer that they pay, you know, probably a couple million dollars and mostly sits in a parking lot at police headquarters, but Mm -hmm. it's fully deployed and extended. There's another 30 police cruisers. Um, there's like two giant armored SWAT vehicles that look like tanks. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Damn, going so, to battle. Yeah. So it took me forever to get home because I had to go around all of these closed streets around where the field is. So I, I don't want to dig into this in depth, but to back things up a little in the woods north of the Atlanta RC field, uh, there, there's a lot of woods, you know, hundreds of acres of woods back there. And the Atlanta DeKalb Police Department is going to break ground on a brand new police training facility back there. They're going to have a firing range way back there somewhere. And now they're going to build this new training facility. Anyway, there's a bunch of, I don't want to get political here at all, but there's a bunch of people trying to protect the forest there. And they've been going about things kind of the wrong way. 
and they've been staging a bunch of protests. Well, apparently what had happened the night before Thomas and I went flying is that that protest extended into the road where they built a barricade across one of the bordering roads around the woods and lit it on fire. And then uh, <laughs> when the fire department yeah. came, they started throwing rocks at them and other projectiles. And of course, you know, mm. you mess with police and fire and uh, hell hath no fury. So this was apparently a massive police operation. There's, there's a community of people living in the woods trying to protect the trees, maybe 30 people, something like that. And this, all these helicopters, all that stuff was this operation to basically capture all those people. And you may have seen it in the news. If you actually Google Atlanta News, yep. you can find out. They caught, I think it was five of them that they've pressed uh, charges of domestic terrorism against. Um, yeah, it's all that. For assaulting all the that. officers. And uh, Dude, they burned down some houses and a bunch of like construction equipment and shit too, in the name of like global warming or climate or whatever it is that they don't, I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big environmentalist. And again, I don't want to get political here, but these guys are going about everything the wrong way. In fact, about two yeah. months prior, they actually vandalized the Atlanta RC field and took apart a lot of our tables and structures to build another one of their stupid barricades. So we were being polite with them until they did that to our field. So we're, we're not fans yeah. of this group there. They're, they're definitely, fr they're fringe weirdos. Amusingly, as they all got arrested, we've been one of our club members at Atlanta RC is, is buddies with the cops. So he's been giving us info. Uh, all of the people arrested are from out of state. So none of these people are even from Georgia. So I don't know why they're here. Anyway, huge police operation to take those folks down. Uh, it actually lasted three days long trying to get these people out of the trees and, and out of the woods. Uh, so didn't fly for a few days at Atlanta RC anyway, uh, because it was surrounded and covered yeah, by right? helicopters. <laughs> so, Extenuating circumstances. Yeah, right. And of course, the weather was lovely for most of those three days. I don't have a lot of time anyway, but we were all messing each other in the, in the Atlanta heli chat. Like, come on, this is cool. Um, we want to go. Fly. Yeah. So whatever, that was kind of more crazy shenanigans at Atlanta RC. Never a dull moment, man. Um, but some other stuff that went on. Uh, I pre-ordered the Goose Guy RS4, um, oh, which I'm oh, excited nice. about. So definitely going to give that helicopter a try. Dude, I can't um, wait to see your build video on that thing, dude. That's, are you going to do a build video on that? Bird or what? I don't, I don't know. I'm debating. I'm thinking about it. Maybe it depends on how many are already out by the time you get it. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I don't think I'm going to get one early. Um, so, but I think it might make sense to do one. I don't know. I might film one and then decide how I like the helicopter. Uh, I don't know. I got to think about it. So, so maybe is all I'll say on that right now. But certainly if there's interest in that, definitely shoot me a note and let me know. And then, uh, much like Rob is experiencing this epic temperature drop, uh, we here in Georgia are expected to get that as well. So the temperatures are going to get down to 19 is the high uh, in a few days here. So I panicked and ordered a Blade Nano S3. So I had something to fly in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right way to handle this cold ass weather, isn't it? <laughs> it's so cold. It's yeah. so cold. I can't fly in this anymore. Uh, and I've had a couple of them before. They're, they're good, silly fun. So I was like, maybe I can practice inverted orientations in the garage. I don't know. We'll give it a try. See what happens. But then today I, I had a lot of stuff planned and I actually got ahead and I was working outside in the yard because uh, the kids are getting a trampoline for Christmas. So I've been really trying to clear this part of the backyard, cut all the tree branches back and get everything ready for it. And it was it was not bad out. It was supposed to be like a high of 35, but with a couple of jackets on and, and working, it felt like about 50. So I'm like, that's it. I got to go practice autos. <laughs> I want to be able to practice autos. So I grabbed the Puma and the Logo 700 and I headed out to Atlanta RC where there were no police, I'm happy to say. 
Um, nice. All the activity had calmed down. And uh, I started with the Puma on 6S. And man, that thing, it autos surprisingly well. I don't know. I don't know. Something about me feels like a lightweight heli wouldn't auto very well. It was a dead calm day and it autos freaking fantastic. It's got tons of hang time. And every time I think I've run out of head speed and I'm still three feet in the air and it's going to drop out of the sky, it seems to settle in and everything's fine. So um, it's very forgiving if you're not very good at autos. So like the first pack I did, pretty much all just approaches. And Scott, I worked on approaches from both sides. So I, I forced myself since it was calm to alternate sides. So I would go left side, then right side, left side, then right My side. My man. <laughs> and just did a whole pack of approaches to try and like feel confident again. Uh, and I stuck a cone out to target and then I went for it. And then the next flight, I did nothing but a pack full of autos. I think I did 14 or 15 in that flight on the Puma. And that went really well. And I was feeling confident. And then uh, I got out the Logo 700. And I was going to do two packs of autos on that, thinking it would be easier than the Puma. And I would do the harder heli first. Uh, but I was actually wrong on that. I think it's because the, uh, you know, I don't fly a lot of, not that the Logo 700 is heavy, but for me, it's heavy because I fly 12S 4,000 milliamps in most of my helis. And this has 12S 5,000. So for me, it's probably the heaviest helicopter I fly. And so there was a lot more mass. So as I was like, descending was the same, pretty much managing my head speed. And Scott, I really had a lot of fun, you know, with your words in the back of my mind, you know, playing with the angle of the disc and also trying to alter my path towards the cone along the way. So if I was going too far forward, a little bit of back elevator or a little more negative cyclic, and I would, you know, slow my forward progression, but speed up my downward progression, if that makes sense. And I was just trying to understand that relationship and learn more about it with just more experience with it. So that was cool <clears throat> and definitely got me closer to the cone, not always. So that was fun. But there was so much more inertia. Like I felt like when you flare the Puma, it almost stops instantly and then you settle it down. Whereas I felt like the Logo 700 on 12S 5000s, like I would flare and then I was like, holy shit, I'm still going real fast left to right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I would kind of do like a bouncing sliding auto, I guess you would call that. Because <laughs> I had all this extra inertia that I, I did not want. So I was trying to figure out how to manage that better, whether I needed to flare more extreme or apply a little positive as I'm like finishing the flare. I don't know. I was trying to figure all that out, but I was doing okay and I was starting to get better at it. And then I landed kind of far to my left and Elena RC from the heli side has kind of a gentle upward slope away from you. It's not quite a hill. It's more of a mound, but it slopes up and there's some ripples in the grass. It's not the most level flat space. So in this case, when you're like me and you've gone a little too far to one side, the grass isn't super flat. I looked at the helicopter and I'd successfully landed the auto, but it wasn't on the, on the best spot. And I looked at the helicopter and that little voice in the back of your head says, you should probably go pick that up and put it on better ground and then take off. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, nah, it'll be fine. Uh, so <laughs> this is the moral of the story is when that little voice goes off you should listen to it so I spool yeah. it up and it starts to wobble a little bit and the tail kicks just a little bit you know maybe 10-15 degrees to one side and it doesn't feel super solid and I'm like uh oh so I give a bunch of positive pitch hoping that I have enough head speed to just kind of pick the thing off the ground as it's gaining head speed and no, that's not what happens at all. Uh, what happens is it wobbles. It digs a tip. I'm like, bah, trying to save the thing. I wasn't 
quite as fast as I should have been on throttle hold. And you hear that horrible thwack sound mm-hmm. of the blade yeah. hitting the boom. Um, oh, God. Slightly under power. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in my auto practice, I had a spool up crash. <laughs> as sad as that is. <laughs> Uh, so I was bumming it definitely. I mean, the whole, I haven't taken it apart yet, but it, at quick glance, it's actually sitting right in front of me. I'm sitting on my hands so Dan doesn't yell at me for working on a helicopter. <laughs> but uh, the whole main fuse is fine. Like the whole, you know, chassis and whatnot, uh, front frames are all good. I think the head's fine. I, the links popped immediately. So I think that saved kind of everything. Servos are fine. Um, but everything kind of from the boom back is is bad <laughs> the boom took a serious hit so the boom and torque tube are toast the push rods toast one of the boom supports is toast i think the tail rotor's fine but i need to go through that i'm sure the bevel gears at both ends of the tail boom are probably toast mm, um, yeah. so I've, I've been putting a cart together on MikadoUSA.com, and uh yeah it's not going to be an inexpensive crash and i took out the vtx 717s one of the blades is toast um Oof, the root mm hit the blade, the metal, you know, blade grip so hard mm-hmm. that it took a huge chunk out of the root. So it's just, that's beyond a few drops of CA. Yeah, that sucks. And that's one of the cheesier, like, blade damages, right? Because it's like, when you look at it, the rest of the blade looks great, but you just got this damage right at the bottom. You're like, dang it. And it's just one, right? So, but you still got to buy a whole set, you know? Yeah, I know. It's like, what do you do with that one good blade? Do you keep it? Dude, do I keep it. it. I'm a bender, bro. Like, I keep them, but I've never found another one that, like, is great and I can, you know, pair it. I have some old switchblades that are, like, have cosmetic dings where the other one was destroyed. I stir paint with those. Because <laughs> I ran <laughs> out, I was go. like, I've never found a match for him. So I'm like, well, I gotta do something with him. But, uh, there you go. And then, talking way too much, but lastly, uh, Scott Graham made me buy a radio control car. And I'm done. Oh, yes. my God. Dude, oh. I'm gonna buy okay. one, too. I've been looking at a rock crawler, dude. A rock crawler. Oh, hell yeah. All right. I got a crawler. (laughs) I confess, I have a crawler. It's a 132 (laughs) scale crawler. I'll stop giving you guys shit. Dude, they're not that expensive. They don't break when you crash them. Yeah, because they don't. I just want to kind of harass my cats with them and then, you know, crawl around outside on the, uh, in the yard. It'd be kind of fun. It would be like an Axial CX3, like 110. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I was looking at a Traxxas. I, I don't, um, I did look today for an indoor track. There is one in Harrisburg, which uh, they got uh, oval, dirt oval indoor and a carpet indoor. Carpet. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Carpet's good. Apparently they do a couple big competitions there every year, like uh, regional competitions there. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to do that. I, I've been looking pretty hard. In fact, I was going to ask you later. Scott, what you would suggest? One-tenth? I can provide. The info? I actually have a brand new kit in the box that I haven't even built yet that I might give you a screaming deal on. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I did my usual buy two. <laughs> you pusher. <laughs> I know. But, uh, you know, to be honest with you, what I really kind of would like to get is like a really good backyard basher. I don't know if I want to get a racer. Because I don't know how often I'd be able to use it. Um, but a backyard basher out here would be really That'd be, be a fun. Lot of fun. You get yeah. a lot of good fun out of that. That's what but, I did. Uh, I bought a one-tenth um, off-road, eh, sort of a hybrid buggy truck. I don't know what you call it. But 
Um, Fun. I actually convinced my wife somehow that this was a good idea for the kids. And I was like, but they can only use it if they come flying with me. So I somehow managed to convince my wife to let me buy a much more expensive RC car for the kids that they could share. But they could only drive it when flying with me, which she's like, oh, cool. He'll take the kids and they'll leave and then I'll have the house to myself. <laughs> but meanwhile, I'm like, it gives the kids something to do and I can go fly more. Um, so if, if it works, it's like win, win, win. Dude, that's some expert level family chess there, dude. I don't know. It, it hasn't worked yet. So we'll see. You got to make it work. That's perfect. The other win to it is even if it doesn't work, I have an RC car to play with. So that's okay. That's <laughs> there a win. You go. See what but you you're a trendsetter, Scott. To get crawlers. Yeah, you really, you know, actually, Scott was really you know. helpful. I think I sent him 30 different RC cars I was considering. <laughs> we went back and forth all week. So thanks. For that. And he, he bought the opposite of what I recommended to. <laughs> this is true. Sorry. <laughs> like Something all the about- advice and he's just like fuck it, i'm buying this one i was like all right whatever dude <laughs> sorry that car just kept calling me there was something about that scheme and i was like i just really like is it a four-wheel drive uh yeah yeah scott are you you're doing two-wheel drive racers right i am doing four-wheel drive touring car i am doing okay. four-wheel drive eight scale buggy two-wheel drive racing oh, uh 10th scale and then something called a mini B, which is an even smaller scale mini two wheel drive buggy. And that shit is off the chain. It's faster than the big ones. It's stupid. I don't want to throw this in your face, but I remember you saying a few weeks ago, you know, I just want to get a car. I don't want to put a lot of thought into it. Uh, you know, just kind of <laughs> something to go take to the track every now and again. You know, stock car, no special tires. I remember that. Yeah, do you, you remember that, uh, Scott? You haven't known me for very long, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I am the walking, talking example of no chill. <laughs> and if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. No, I get that. I used to be like that a lot. I used to be like that a lot with a lot of things I did, but I'm getting too old. I'm slowing down. Things like these uh, these cars, man. I, I went down to the hobby shop here. They got a relatively... I mean, they focus heavily on the cars. They got a few airplanes there, zero helicopters. But they got those big-ass Traxxas. I don't even know what they are. But they're huge. They're like eighth scale and fifth scale. Big four-wheel, you know, they're like 30-pound four-wheel drive. But they're like a grand, dude. That shit looks like fun. It's all different, too, though. Because, like, most of the stuff you get at stores like that are, like, basher kind of thing. And yeah. then when you get into the racing side of yeah, it, yeah. like it's an entirely different world. And that's, that's what captured me was that side of it. Cause you know, I'd done the basher shit and it's fun, but you zip around the backyard for a couple hours and you're no. like, all right, yeah. I'm bored. But competing with other people and going for time and stuff and seeing like fractional improvements in performance. I'm like, holy shit, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, I used to do that years ago in the mid nineties. I used to do that. We didn't have an indoor track, uh, but we would set tracks up at hobby shops in various locations in Montana. Uh, and several, you know, 30, 40 people would show up and race. It was it was a lot of fun. We were doing that. I think it was the, uh, God, I want to say it was the, I, I saw one the other day. Tracks, was it a Fortech? Does that sound familiar? Um, I think that's the car they have. Yeah. Yeah. A TC3 associated. I can't remember who makes. Oh yeah, TC3 is good stuff. Old school, but good stuff. I think they're on a TC7.3 now, but it's discontinued. Okay. 
Well, that's enough about cars for now. <laughs> yeah. If you remember last week, last week, I'm like, I won't talk about cars. I swear. <laughs> I've gone and done it again. <laughs> uh, we Sorry. Kinda, we kind of started it. It was our fault. <laughs> well, I want to do, I also want to do boats, man. I want to do big gasser boats. I Dude, could get nice into that. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. My wife actually shows interest in that. Oh, dude. We were in a hobby store. Yeah, she saw boats and she's like, what's that? That looks fun. I'm like, yeah. excuse me, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, should we buy you one, honey? Let's buy you one. Yeah, I said the same thing. I'm like, dude, if you have any interest, we could make it work. Like, say the word. You got one. <laughs> we can make that happen. No, that's cool. All right. How about news, Nick? We got any news this week? Ah, a little bit. That sounds like you need some fiber in your diet. So, we're, you know, we're coming up to the holidays here, so there's not a lot of news going on. Um, but there is a little bit. And, uh,. Much like a lot of the heli releases these days, Goose Guy's being no different. They're sort of trickling information out over the course of, you know, two, three weeks. Uh, so we got a little bit more news on the Goose Guy RS4, specifically how much it costs. Uh, so Goose Guy's announced pricing for their uh, upcoming release of the 380 sized RS4. Uh, we mentioned last week that the kit's available in two forms. So for the plug and play version, which they've actually now renamed the combo version, to alleviate any confusion that was letting some people think that maybe it would come pre-assembled, which it does not. Uh, so it's now the combo version versus plug and play, which you've heard it described in the past. But this version includes the kit, one battery, all of the servos, an ESC, an FBL, and blades and motor. And that will be going for $699 US. And then for the kit version, that includes servos, motor, and blades only. So you have to provide your own ESC and FBL. That one will be $619. S. So pre-orders for the RS4 are now live, with helis expected to ship sometime in early January, possibly the first week. But there's been kind of, and I guess every new heli to some extent uh, starts these conversations, but there's been some interesting discussions I've seen online about the pricing for this helicopter. So since we don't have a ton of news this week, I figured I would go ahead and work up some price comparisons. So uh, I wanted to compare... Our estimates were pretty close, I thought. Yeah, actually, we should mention that. Yeah, we predicted 699 700 you know, in that yeah. neighborhood. So we were kind of right on the money. So go us. But for these price comparisons I worked up, I used like $40 KST servos, a Hobbywing 60 amp, and a mini Icon FBL. So pretty affordable economic choices there. Nothing crazy fancy. So for, I priced out some basic combos. So for the raw 420, which again is a biggest, bigger helicopter, so not super fair to compare, but a basic setup for the raw 420 came out to about $920 to get the thing in the air. So, you know, FBL servos, et cetera, um, blades and whatnot. Uh, although the blades come with it. Uh, so that one certainly makes the Goose Guy 380, although smaller, seem like a good value. Uh, but the thing that I think a lot of people are harping on are the Align 450 Super Combos. So the Align 450 that comes with everything you need to get the thing in the air uh, is only $580. And I think that's the one helicopter people are pointing at and saying, well, the Goose Guy is overpriced. I don't know. And honestly, I feel like that's not necessarily a fair comparison. I have not flown the Goose Guy RS4. I can only sort of 
take what I know about the S2 from them and the quality and level of components and the flight performance of that and say, I think that the Goose Sky RS4 will be a much better helicopter than the Align 450. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Again, I have not actually seen it or flown it yet. So I feel like that is not necessarily the fairest comparison. And I want to hear from you guys in a second, but let me get through the rest of the examples here. Um, so then I said, well, what can I find for other cheaper helicopters to sort of put together a really inexpensive combo? So I found the XL Power uh, 380, uh, the Protos 380, not the new version, the old version with the boom supports and whatnot. The cheapest combo I could put together to get that thing in the air was $717. So dead on with our $699 um, deal on the sky. And then if you take the Protos 380 V2, that's the newer version with the cool molded carbon boom. You know, that cheapest I could really get it in the air. And yes, you could buy Amazon servos or find ways to get the price down a little more. Well, it was about $893. So when you really do the work and you do the math, you know, I think that it's priced very fairly. But what do you guys think? Any uh, any input there? Well, I think it's a, I don't know, man. I don't think the uh, line comparison is a very good one. Just be, just from a, well, I, I think you kind of look at it. I, you know, take it for what it's worth, but I think you've got an aligned bias. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you have a. No, I would agree. Um, but I don't, but I also think that the aligned design is, is pretty old. Uh, and I think that you're looking at a more modern machine. I don't think it's a good comparison. I guess it flies and it's a helicopter and you can do the, the roughly the same shit with it. But, you know, if you want something a little more modern, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a good comparison. Uh, the others I have no experience with, so I couldn't really tell you, but, um, it's, how does it compare to the SAB? Uh, I think the SAB 380 is going to be pretty similar to the 420 by the time you get the thing in the air. No, it's not inexpensive. I didn't do that comparison though, so I can't speak specific. I don't think it's a hugely fair comparison too, given it's direct drive. Right. I mean, you know, the direct drive motors are more expensive than straight drive just inherently because there's way more magnets, more winding, stuff like that. Yeah. And in all fairness, it's worth more money because you're going to break less stuff when you hit the ground. Yeah, I guess that the thing that. I don't know, I guess it never occurs to me if I don't like a particular helicopter, I don't necessarily comment on a new release from that brand. And, and diss it. Whereas it feels like a lot of people came out of the woodworks to say, Oh, this is way too expensive. It's overpriced. I don't know. That's, that's just that's not what the hobby does. So, cause it's winter it just time. kind of made me want to dig into it and see, <laughs> is it really overpriced? So, you know, I thought I would do some fair comparison. Yeah. So. Everybody, for some strange reason in wintertime in this hobby just turns into someone else. They get pissy. <laughs> they get moany. They start fighting with each other. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is true. Statement. Anyway, moving on to just a couple more little things here. Uh, so Minair posted some photos of a full fuselage design for their, uh, this is Miniature Aircraft's Impulse helicopter. And you I'm love it, don't you, Nick? Sure what heli this is, because it's not their new gasser. Um, that's called something else. So what is the impulse that this full fuselage is for? Does anybody know? I actually commented on that post and he didn't answer. So I don't know what that's all about, but it's kind of a, there's some, blue bands with some stars on them and then some red and yellow accents on the fuse, but it's a full fuselage bird for miniature aircraft. Um, he's experimenting with designs with, uh, in a simulator. They had some screenshots from the sim where he'd, uh, rendered out this fuselage. So I don't know, maybe something new for miniature aircraft there. I'm trying to figure out a little more information. 
Uh, now I want to take a quick moment to shout out something I saw online on Facebook. So quick shout out to a Mr. Gino Palumbo, uh, who this week came up with perhaps the best reason to consider the affordable lineups of open source radios. Rob, I don't know if you saw this post, but uh, did, yeah. Gino posted photos of his Radio Master transmitter after he had accidentally ran it over with his car, commenting oh, the quote, shit. this is what, yeah, he comments, quote, this is why you buy Radio Master. So when you run it over with your truck, it doesn't hurt your wallet so bad, end quote. So Rob, that's an angle you and I both missed. Yeah, um, we're yeah, definitely, dude. <laughs> we're definitely sorry about that, Gino. Hope you go uh, get back in the air soon. A little bit of a bummer there. Um, Dude, the nice thing about that is he can pop that SD card out, throw it in the other radio, and he's in like Flynn. Well, that's exactly what he said. And a lot of the people yeah. that were quick to comment were, is the SD card okay? And, and I think he said yes. So he's good to go. Just going to slap yeah. it in another uh, radio, and uh, he's up and running. Cool. Uh, speaking of shout outs, I want to give a quick one to Nick Musco, uh, who kindly sent me over some photos and videos of some full integration between the Brain 2 Icon 2 and an open source radio. In this case, he was running Edge TX. So he showed me some cool videos and footage of, you know, full fly wireless programming, um, full telemetry, you know, full integration. That uh, looks yeah. super cool. So it's nice to see that in action uh, as I start thinking about digging into that in the future next year. So thanks for sending that over, Nick. And then uh, for our news of the week, just kind of want to take a minute here to say, uh, you know, wishing you all uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, all that good stuff. I uh, hope you and your families uh, have some great holidays together from all of us here at RCHN. I uh, hope you get that special heli gift you've been asking for, or uh, maybe you just managed to smuggle it past the gatekeeper uh, unharmed <laughs> if you're uh, like me and you're uh -huh. the best Santa. But anyway, happy holidays from all of us. And uh, that's all I have for news. Scott, what's your take on these open uh, source radios? I mean, I think it's awesome. I've been using them for years with drones. Yeah, um, I did too. TX, like you had mentioned, yeah. is cool, but that Edge TX is even better. It enables like touchscreen on that. Um, uh, what do you call it? Radio Master Radio. It's cool stuff. Um, I can't wait till there's more integration ready. The moment that someone releases a Betaflight esque flight controller that's cheap and you don't have to build it yourself, that's yep. going to be a game changer at that point. Once it's yep. like, hey, so like you buy a Neo with no software on it, you go download Rotor Flight throw it on it you can tune it just like beta flight that's unreal at that point because the level of technology in that software far surpasses everything we play with with rc helis it may it's not coming. be as polished and clean as mikado's offering but i'll tell you what it raises a bar damn close just with te technology that's there yeah and if you really want to experiment with something or try something you have the ability to, to spin off that flight controller software into your own branch and do these changes that you want and see how it actually flies, which is just unbelievable. You can't do that with anything else. Nah, man. So cool. Yeah, yeah. our friend Nick, Nick, you had mentioned Nick Musco. He's, uh, he had sent me some messages in the past as well, and I had commented it on the show. Scott, it's coming here soon. We'll be able to buy an FBL unit. You can just bind up, open up Rotor Flight. It looks literally like Beta Flight does with your column of stuff on the side, your various tabs you go to, and configure that booch and go. Nice. I want to give a shout out to him too. Uh, I was in a sim group with Nick and I had left the sim group mostly because I don't have time to sim. I can barely even get in a computer as is. But I think he thought that I didn't have a computer that could do it. He messages me and offers to give me a computer for free. He's like, dude, here, like you're awesome. <laughs> nice. like, here, <laughs> I got one that you can use. And I was like, holy shit, dude, like thanks, but I'm good. I really appreciate it. 
<laughs> but That's damn, like cool. no questions, no nothing. Just hits me up. Hey, you need a computer? Like I got one. Nice. Yeah, I yeah. never met the guy, but he seems like a pretty cool dude. Yeah, definitely. Alrighty. So that's the news, huh? Anybody that's else? That's it. That's it. Everybody's winding down for the holidays. Yeah. Alright guys, so this week we're going to talk about... Uh, blades and blade tracking and and head issues that you might we're going to be talking about head tonight oh yeah yeah we got lots of head issues you know tracing down or tracking down vibrations and uh making sure you know if you're having troubles with your blades coming in and out of track and um you know i I guess i i you know just from my experience with it because we talked about this a little bit during the week I'm going to learn something on this episode because I typically, once I get the blades in track, other than, you know, I guess maybe it's because I crash a a helicopter (laughs) before I need to worry about uh, regular maintenance on, you know, head dampers, that kind of stuff. So go ahead and uh, hit us off here, Scott, and let's talk about root causes and troubleshooting for tracking issues and and, and what what can we do to fix those, make sure we analyze them correctly. Yeah, how do we avoid shitty head? Yeah, gotta gotta stay away from that. I mean, it was okay when you were young. <laughs> you gotta be more refined now. <laughs> so, I guess the whole point of this show kind of came about because a buddy of mine had messaged me with uh, a bit of an issue with head tracking. So, his blades would be tracked and then he'd fly around and it would be okay. But if he'd fly it hard... And then bring it back in, the blades would be out of track. And he's like, what the hell? Like, why does it keep going in and out of track? So we figured we'd kind of kind of go through troubleshooting on the head and, and discuss what, what can cause those issues. So one thing I wanted to look at was to break everything down into kind of the series of how it works. And tracking is affected with everything north of the swash plate. So... If you start with a swash plate and work your way through the head, you'll usually figure out everything to do with tracking. So it's not necessarily the order you should try in, you know, things that are most common. Cause like tracking issues, the most common things would be like your, your dampeners are messed up, your uh, thrust bearings are messed up, or you've got bent pitch links or they're loose. And that's like the first go to. But let's say that you just don't know what's going on and you just want to clean slate it, right? So, Start with like your swash balls. So the swash balls that connect to your links, if those are bent or loose and they can rotate and they're changing angle as they rotate, that's mm-hmm. a possible issue that'll cause it to uh, have problems. Or if your swash plate's loose, like have you guys ever had a swash plate start to separate at the yes. bearing? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I've had that. Or like the bearing starts to heat up and then it's looser. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Or like some synergy models like the N7 or the E7, they used to have a problem where the bearing used to come apart slowly over time. And then they released that secondary one, the new HD version of that swash plate, but same thing. So check that, work your way up. The pitch links, the only thing that can really go wrong with the the pitch links is if the balls themselves um, elongate over time, but it's not really going to cause the blades to go in and out of track that drastically. So it's not really something that's going to be a massive problem. It'll just be like overall accuracy as far as blade slop and stuff like that. But what my buddy was experiencing was like dead tracked blades fly hard and then they're wildly out of track. 
So next thing you want to go to is what that connects to. So next is going to be the ball in the pitch arm. Some manufacturers like Mikado, they'll use a bolt that goes through the ball and then a little cone to hold it in place with the older 700 stuff. Or if you get like the newer style arms or the Lynx arms, it's all one piece. So it's a little bit less prone to being bent, but check to see if those balls are bent for some reason. Um, that will be a, a bit of an issue. See if those arms are loose. If those arms are loose, your tracking is going to go in and out. Um, you guys ever had that where you didn't realize that the arms are not bolted securely to the head and it starts changing your pitch throughout the flight? Yes, I've had that. Or I've had one where I caught one side of my feathering shaft where I didn't Loctite it. And after a couple of flights, it uh, I don't know, I would be doing high pitch change things. And I would just after the pitch change, I would hear this. And then it would go back to I'm like, that's not normal. And I came down in the one, the one grip, which is like, blah, 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 blah. and I do it. I probably only had like three or four turns left before that thing shot off there, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, that would have sucked. Yeah. Big time. So uh, before you go on, let me ask you a question uh, in reference to, now I can understand loose, how things can potentially go in and out, but, but bent, wouldn't that be perpetually out so, of track? <clears throat> With the arms, if the arms are bent, yeah, that'll be perpetually out of track. That's not such a big deal. But the arms themselves, if the if it has a bolt that goes through the ball um, and that bolt gets bent, if it's locked in tight, that's cool. But if that has the ability to pivot at all. Um, I okay, I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah, like if it rotates around maybe just half a rotation each way and you just right. don't know, that would be a problem. That or used to happen in Gowie 200 all the time. The little tiny bolts are soft. And so if you had any sort of heavy landing or something and you didn't check those, they could start, like you're saying, they'd rotate. And now the ball is like a millimeter higher than it was when the, the thing was rotated the other way around. And then you would exactly. adjust the, right. Then you'd adjust that pitch. I mean, like, oh, well, shit, this one's out of track. You'd adjust it. You'd go fly and lo and behold, that screw would turn again. And now it's a millimeter south. And now the blade is low. At least in my scenario, that was what I ended up with. And I had to, it was just the, the Gowie. It seemed like it was made with cheesium in the swash or something because <laughs> the swash ball holes, dude, they would just strip themselves out over time. And at some point I ended up just like, uh, making poor man's JB weld with glue and fucking Loctite and whatever other sticky shit I could get in there. And then <laughs> it was basically welded in at that point And then it didn't happen after that, but yeah. So check, check for your loose saggy balls and then bent to like so sab stuff and i guess the older gowie stuff you know how they use one bolt in the center and they rely on the curvature shape of the head and then the the same matched curve on the pitch arm in order yeah. to hold it in one place oh, if you, right, right right yeah if you flare that a little bit you can crank it down again and it usually holds but if you are aggressive enough with it you can make it shift a little bit and it just doesn't hold the same position. So it can move around even if it's tight. Um, so if that those edges are kind of flared, you're probably going to come across some issues occasionally sure. with it. Mm -hmm. So after you've looked at that, you that's all the linkages and control side of it. After that, it becomes a little bit harder to troubleshoot. And this is usually where people get bit. And this is where I believe my friend got bit. So the first thing it could be, typically if you're you're feathering shaft or spindle shaft, whatever we want to call it these days, is bent, it can find its kind of neutral position and it won't really cause a whole lot of vibration until you start to really kind of ring on it and move it. Then it's going to start to pivot around in the head 
and cause that blade to get out of track. But it's usually accompanied with aggressive vibration issues, depending where it rotates to. Like it can find a happy medium where it doesn't shake too bad. But once you yeah. bump it a certain way where it shifts, it'll just vibrate like crazy now because it's off balance because it's not in that kind of neutral position that it found. Um, unless it's severely bent, then it just always shakes. But right. um, typically that you'll never see that in the air without a vibration. So we kind of skip past that a little bit if someone tells me the helicopter doesn't shake. Thrust bearings are a huge one. If if you turn those grips and they're notchy and they stick, um, there's situations where you can get the blades to have enough force because of those notchy bearings where you're going to get the blades start to go slightly out of track. And it just doesn't sound good. You get that flutter noise. That's typically the biggest root cause for that. And I, I don't know. I guess most people know that and they know to change those. Right. But one thing that people don't look at all the time is dampeners. So people yeah. usually change dampeners when they're worn, when there's excessive play. But what a lot of people kind of overlook is, is when you crash, there's enough force usually to, let's say, bend a main shaft. I mean, if you think how much force is involved to do that, if you were to take your helicopter and take a grip and push down as hard as you can until you bend that main shaft, like, what do you think happens to those Delrin or plastic bushings? Yeah, they get smooshed pretty hard, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, kind of yes. go out around and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So if they go out around front and back, like that's not such a big deal because your tracking will be the same. Your blades will just lead or lag a little differently. I mean, not the blades leading and lagging, but the grip itself will move back and forth a little bit. Yeah. But it shouldn't affect your pitch. But if for some reason that elongated hole pivots in such a way where it's up and down now, now you're actually going to have an issue where the blade grip in essence goes up. And because the grip goes up, but the pitch arm stays stationary, the pitch is going to pitch down if it's a leading edge control arm. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you're, you're changing your pitch in, in, essence, mm-hmm. in essence, and it will change depending how you fly too. So as you fly aggressively or calmly or high head speed or whatever, that bushing's going to kind of rotate and move around in the head based on just what you're doing. And it's going to cause issues like that, like tracking is fine, then all of a sudden it's not okay and it goes back and forth. Hmm. Huge one there that'll bite you. Another thing people also don't think about is blade bolts. When was the last time you guys replaced your blade bolts? Never. Yeah, Yeah, never. Yep. So what happens with those is either in a hard crash or in really severe overspeed situations, you can bend those and they'll no longer be round. I don't know if you've ever noticed sometimes when you're unscrewing your your blade bolt, it'll be like tight, loose, tight, loose, tight, loose as you're going. Yeah. Yep. I've had that. Yep. I've had that occasionally. And that's when those bolts are starting to bend. And the deal with that is it'll be bent either outwards or to the side or inwards, depending what way you clocked it when you tightened your blades to however much you want it. As you fly, it's going to start to move and pivot and change around. That's going to wreak havoc with your tracking. Right. So things that, that that's more like everything that's dynamic that can cause it to go in and out of tracking. And then there's more stuff we can elaborate on that'll cause it to stay out of track. I don't know if you guys want me to run off with that one or if, uh, Nick, if you want to comment on those parts. Well, it's funny. I learned a lot about a little part of this while filming the Nick Maxwell video. So I'm currently debating how much I want to share that's <laughs> giving away some secrets. But I, I think some of this is common knowledge. So I'm going to share a little bit of this. But the, the thing, and it was one of those moments when, when I was listening to it that set off a bell in my head like, oh, duh, of course. So I had this Spectre V1 some time ago that I never really got all these vibration issues out of. And I couldn't decide if it was tracking 
or, you know, and I swear I replaced every part of that helicopter, whether it was the head block or the blade grips or the thrust bearings or the dampeners. You know, I tried varieties to get this sort of slow shake that would happen on spool down out of this helicopter. And vibrations can be like that, right? You can chase them for a long time. There's a lot of potential causes that you can kind of fight with. Uh, and in the end, I'm convinced that the design of some helicopters, you know, the, the, the head block can be longer or shorter. And there's, there's pluses and minuses to that. So the shorter the head block, uh, the closer it is to the body of the helicopter. And that can have some positive flight characteristics. You know, it can, it can roll better, for example, right? If the head's further away from the, the center of mass of the, the fuselage, it's going to behave differently than if the head's closer. But the shorter the head block, the larger the possibility is that the head block and therefore the head is not square to the main shaft. And there are ways to check for this uh, that I've learned and Nick goes into them. But essentially what can happen is, is if you put the head block on the main shaft and you just go ahead and crank down the Jesus bolt and then you go ahead and tighten the, the pinch bolts on the follower arms, uh, it is possible, right? There has to be a certain amount of play there or you would never get the head block on the main shaft, right? Like, if the tolerances were such that it was impossible to get the head block out of square, you'd never get the thing on the main shaft without a hammer because there are, you know, when you manufacture these parts, there's tolerances you have to allow for. There's variations in, you know, the way the yeah. machines work and when they machine the head block and you have to allow for that because if you don't, then you could have a head block that's too tight to fit over the main shaft. So you have to be really careful with that you get this as square. And like I said, if you have a really short head block, it's it's very much easier there because there's just less head block over the shaft to keep it square. And one of the techniques Nick talks about, and I'm just going to skim over it, you really need to see it in person to get it, is he actually spools up the head with no blades on and just staring at it at eye level and sets it to zero pitch so that the uh, the blade grips are level and he stares at them to make sure that one head block goes through the same, or no, sorry, one blade grip goes through the path of the other blade grip. Because you can actually, if you just sort of spool it up, let it start to come up to head speed and kill it, spool it up, let it come up to head speed and kill it, you can actually see the wobble if you stare at it closely enough and realize if your head's out of square, in which case you should loosen your pin bolts, loosen your pinch bolts, loosen your Jesus bolt, and then go back again and slowly tighten each side, you know, just a little bit, spool it up. Is it still square? Great. You know, keep tightening, keep going. And then basically wait until you've got everything completely tightened and you've still verified uh, that the head is square to the shaft. And that can make a big difference. One other technique that he goes through in detail that, again, you really need to see to understand the methodology is actually using a digital caliper to measure all of the dampeners, right? There's variations in the manufacturing of those things, right? So if you have one dampener that has a high spot on one side and one that has it on the other side and you don't pay attention when you install them in the head, it's possible that even though your head block's square, your feathering shaft is actually got a slight cant to it, right? It goes through one dampener that uh, has the high spot on one side and the other dampener that has it on the other and it's actually at a slight angle. It's not perpendicular to the main shaft. Uh, and these little subtle things can actually cause uh, wobbles that may show up to you as a variation in tracking, which you can fight all day long with the tracking, but you're never going to overcome the fact that your feathering shaft is not square to your main shaft. Uh, yeah, you're just like masking a problem at that point. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. 
dampers being out around like that is definitely something that would cause it to go in and out out of yeah. control too. You know what I mean? Like, like your tracking wouldn't be consistent. So that's a, that's a good tip. I never even considered that they'd be manufactured wrong, you know? It could happen. Yeah. Well, here's one too. What? Like we're speaking of dampers, like a tip to, um, the older Gowie bird, the X5, when I had it, the dampers, there was a direction that they went because there was just a slight bevel on one side and a, it was fully flat on the other side. And I breezed over that part in the manual. And, and so I'd installed them backwards and I ended up developing a, a slop in it way faster than I should have. And it, it was confusing. And then finally, when I figured out that I had them in backwards, rebuilt the head and then it was smooth as glass after that. But that's an awesome tip about the the head trying to square the head i've heard other comments about various ways to try to get the head to settle down onto the main shaft you know as you tighten it up um and, and, you know various tricks but that's a pretty awesome trick and i would have never thought to do that you know just give it you know tighten it up and then just i've i've spun it by hand but you can't really do it because you're imparting all these other forces on your heli and it's shaking and stuff so to step back and just spool it up quick with the head on there just to make sure that's it it's a pretty that's a good tip yeah, I'd love to see people get like a dial indicator and put it on each grip. You know, run off the yeah, frame yeah. of the helicopter to the grip and just twist it around slow and it'll get you absolutely dead nuts perfect at that point. Like, I'm all for eyeballing stuff, but gauges are better for sure. Do you do that? Do you Me? actually do that? No, I don't give a shit. It hits the ground before it even matters. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be honest here. Well, I was going to say. It's even worn out. Yeah. Because, you know, I... I that just feels really, really nitpicky. Uh, and I'm, not, I'm certainly not, obviously, there's a reason Nick Maxwell's doing it. Um, but I, I, I have a, a sneaking suspicion that if you have imperfect dampers in your head, wouldn't the forces equal those out during flight? What do you mean? I mean, if you've got if, if like okay, so if your feathering shaft is being canted ever so slightly, you know uh, that material is not it, it, it's malleable to some extent. Delrin mm. is malleable to some extent, right? Yeah. So I could see where initially you might have some issue, but after it kind of runs in, I mean, we're talking everything else being good. I, I just can't help but think that, you know, after uh, a minute or two of, of forces on those, you know, pressing against those, that Delrin material, that it's going to, it's going to equal itself out. Agree? I don't know. Or it's disagree? pretty hard. Yeah. I don't but know. It's maybe. still malleable though. That That's the reason we use Delrin in a lot of applications. It's, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic material. I've never seen it with manufactured ones you know brand new out of the package i mean I, again i'm nowhere close to the pilot nick maxwell is so i think that might be one of the reasons why i've only ever seen it when i blasted into the ground and elongated them you know and that's right. a really drastic issue manufacturing defect i don't think i could feel that i don't know i mean i think and in, in not every set of dampeners has them right you may get one that's perfect but take a digital caliper and measure the thickness of the dampener all the way around in like 10 different spots. And theoretically, they should all be exactly the same, right? Should be the same thickness all the way around in 10 different places. But I think what you'll find is, is that they're not, there's they're a high spot and there's be. not. Sure. Um, and if you can align that high spot to be the same on both sides of the head block, you're setting yourself up better for success. 
I don't know that necessarily the forces will compensate for that. I mean, maybe to some extent, to some amount. I don't know. We need an engineer. I don't know because there's going to be, there's going to be spec tolerances in there. Those things are not perfect. Nothing is right. And they're going to be, there's going to be differences. Well, some things are perfect, okay? I mean, I fly SAB, and I mean, stuff's all perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Is the check in the mail? Yeah, check is in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, what I've always done, and and I I guess I was a little confused. I I was listening, you know, we were talking about this in, in our group chat. And I think one thing that I've always done, only because it makes sense to me, is when I mean, I'll put the Jesus bolt in just to get things in the proper position, but I start with the pinch bolts just like you would on a, you know, a little, you know, a little bit, the other side, a little bit, you know what I mean? Just slowly tighten them up. Yeah. I've never had any issues. That's what I do. And while I'm doing that, I try surgically to not touch the head and I'm all extra gentle with it and shit. Until you get it nice and solid. And then the last thing I do is I tighten down the Jesus bolt, right? Yeah, which but, makes yeah. sense. And, and that's a lot of what Nick is saying. He's just checking it as he goes in case, right. you know, you turn one side a little more than another or it's a little off or it didn't slide on correctly the first time. All those things. I get I get it. I, and I understand why he, he would do that based on, you know, his level of, uh, of uh, expertise and his ability to fly a machine. He's a little probably significantly more demanding than most everybody out there. Yeah, but I think uh, largely a lot of those problems, though, can affect everybody regardless of skill level, right? If you've got a wobble in your head that's giving this really obnoxious vibration as the helicopter is spooling down, you know, that affects us all regardless of flight skill. And its root cause can be that the head is not square. It could also be many other things. It could be in the tail rotor for that matter. Well, I think, you know, if you're chasing ghosts or something like that, doing things like this, I think is prudent. You know, I am as we're having this conversation... I'm remembering back in the day uh, when the Galway 200 was like the only micro around and a lot of guys would build that and I would build it and then I became the rep for that and people would ask me all kinds of questions. And um, I seem to be one of the few people that could set the bird up to be completely vibration free, right? And so folks would actually send me their helis and I'd rebuild them and put videos on my YouTube channel of stages going up through the head, adding the swash, are adding the swash onto the shaft and then adding the head block onto the shaft and the uh, grips, spooling it up every time and all the way up to blades, right? Um, just to prove that you could build it vibration-free. So I totally understand why um, it, it could be prudent to do that because as I remember, as I go back, that's what I would do with the Galway 200s. I would do it at every stage, check, is there a vibe? Yes, let's resolve that. Okay, now there's no vibe. Let's add more more to the heli. Okay, still no vibes. We're good here until I got to a fully built heli, you know. And so, and that was with the little tiny 200 class. And there was just more, you know how it is with the smaller birds. There's just more fiddly, fiddly bits you got to deal with the, the little fiddly things that make it vibrate, right? So back then it was prudent for us to do that. And I think it's this kind of thing is prudent to do still. For the average Joe, I think, you know, putting the head block on and being careful with your, uh, your pinch bolts and your Jesus bolts or, if your bird is big enough and it's got a flat on the top of the head, just or your um, dial in your uh, uh, digital pitch gauge on your motor can, and then pick it up and put it back on your head and see if you got zero on that. You know, um, 
and that should be good enough at the start. You know, if you got to chase ghosts to figure out where the vibrations are, then I could see the average guy going deeper, kind of like you're saying, Nick. You know, but there's that's the cool thing about this hobby. There's so many ways to either um, at the build stage or even like after a crash or whatever, diagnose and figure out where where the issue is. You know. I think too, and, and I know I've talked about this a little bit before in the past, that there are some manufacturers of kits that, whether it's manufacturing tolerances or, or, or design compromises, right? Design versus performance. Um, yeah. You know, just like we were just talking about a shorter head block, higher performance, but, you know, higher propensity, perhaps, you know, if you don't build it perfectly right for, you know, vibrations to appear, for example. Some kits, you know, err on the side of safety there. I think, you know, SAB kits are generally... I don't want to say idiot proof, but have a very high tolerance for poor building and still give you great flight characteristics or good flight That's characteristics. Why Scott you know? Yeah. Uh, it could be. <laughs> exactly. Um, like, <laughs> they're great helicopters. I love all of mine. Uh, I'm not no, knocking them at all or saying they're making like bad design compromises, but there are compromises at every turn in helicopter design. And some of them, if you make them one way, will lead to better flying helicopters for less uh detailed builders let's say yeah some of the other way like the old school gaui x5 head was like phenomenally tall from the jesus bolt up and a good chunk of the main shaft like probably over a half inch of the main shaft on nearly an inch would go into the head block but there was still a ton of head block above that and the way the pinch bolts work they were also the follower arm uh bolts as well so you'd have to pinch the head block but it, you would the head would end up getting into you know how it is over time these kinds of things start to wear out you know um and so you'd get to a point where you couldn't pinch the head hard enough with the jesus bolt and the pinch bolts without totally ruining the bearings and the follower arms and so you had to always have a couple of extra head blocks and stuff and yeah i don't know you know so it's it's there's in the old days it just seemed like it was a lot more fiddly to get them built right you know what i mean yeah. and like you're saying these days a lot of the a lot of that's been designed out you know where yeah. it, it just kind of falls together like i remember old like old old days um the old where days. you could actually hear, you could actually see your head block uh warping a little bit when you were tightening the jesus bolt yeah, you could watch it pinch shut. Yeah. <laughs> you could watch yeah. it start to pinch shut there. Yeah. The inverse, if you've if you've had too much like it was weird. Like I actually bent one of the head blocks on the Gowie X5 just because I had my rates turned way up and I was just banging on it really hard. It was like as shortly after I got really good at doing TikTok. So I'd go way up there and I was just like wham, 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 like just banging full pitch, full collective, full pitch you know, or full collective, full cyclic, just both ways, both ways, both ways. And I was wearing shit out up there. But the head block at the bottom where you pinch, over time, it felt like I would watch it. It, it would it would be, you could see that it was out a little bit. And I was like, okay, it's time to get a new head block on here now, you know, and right. newer helis, I haven't had to worry about any of that kind of shit. So what if we take a step back for a minute? So Scott, one of the things that I still haven't fully wrapped my head around is where do you start when you have a vibration? How do you figure out where the vibration is? Is it in the head? Is it in the tail? Is it somewhere else? Like what? Like if if you're a beginner and you're like, there's something wrong with my helicopter and my tail fin is blurry, or my canopy shaking, or my skids are blurry. Like where do you start? Where do you go first? 
I guess it depends what you're running for electronics, um, because you can kind of cheat a little bit. Um, so let's say that you have a vibration, you could run the vibration analyzer. Like if you got VBAR, it has it. I think Icon does it too. Obviously brain, cause it's the same thing, but you can record the vibration and get the frequency of it. And then you could divide the Hertz, I think by 60 to get the RPM in which it's actually vibrating. And they can give you kind of a good idea of where it is. So if it's, you know, the 2000 RPM, it's probably somewhere around the head causing the vibration. If it's going to be, I don't know, like uh, 8,000 RPM around about there, it's going to be in the tail. And then if it's even higher than that, it's going to be the motor because that's what, like 10 to 1, 8 to 1 most of the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, 16,000 RPM or something is going to be the motor. So you can kind of get an idea of where to chase it down that way. Me, I'm dumb. I'm lazy. I just disconnect the rotor blades and I take the tail off and I spool it up. And if there's no issue on the head, um, then I put the tail back on it, spool it up with no blades. If I feel a vibration, I know it's in the tail. Um, kind of track it down that way. So I'll like try and reduce the amount of stuff on it. I'll even t- go to the point where I remove the head and run it with just the tail to see if I can track down what's going on with the tail. Kind of like R- Rob said, how he builds it piece by piece and fires it up to make sure there's no vibration. I just do that when I'm troubleshooting. And typically I've never really had an issue. I've only used that whole vibration thing once just to kind of prove a point that it can be done. So I have some input for the this vibration and it, it dovetails into finding bad bearings and stuff too. Because I know sometimes sourcing which bearing in your heli is bad that because you know a, a crunchy bearing is totally going to cause vibration near where that's at right so it's something that i learned in the um, car world when i was diagnosing some trouble with a super loud pulley that i had but i couldn't figure out which pulley it was right so here's what you do right and you can do it with anything and maybe a milk jug works for a car so let's think maybe like a if you take like a 20 ounce pop bottle and cut the bottom off of it and then poke a hole in the end of it and stick like, I don't know, like a wooden stick or like a, I don't know, a little pokey thing or a dowel. If you got a chopstick, anything that is solid and screw that cap back on there, right? You can take your blades off your heli and spool it up. And all you got to do is touch the tip of whatever that is. I use like a piece of wood or just like a long toothpick or something like that. And you just touch that on various screws in your heli various areas where a bearing race would be near or whatever while it's running. And when you touch the bearing that's bad, that two liter, that little 20 ounce bottle is going to howl. It's just going to be like, Whoo! and you'll know that, that that's where it's at. And you'll move it to a different mm. boat somewhere else on the heli and it won't make that noise or it'll be much quieter. Right. And it at least gets you in the area you need to be. Um, that's what I did on the T-Rex 500 because it was noisy as shit. And I'm like, you know, I bet it's the main shaft bearings, but a lot of these bolts are like <laughs> practically welded in there. So I'm trying not to take parts off unless I have to. Right. Um, so I did that trick and I'm like, yep, it's probably that one. Wouldn't you know it? Took the shaft out, reached down there and turned the bearing crunchy as shit. Took that one out. Now it's great. You know? So that's a cool little trick you can do for free. And rather than disassemble your helicopter and actually touch all the bearings, try that trick. It works great on cars. It works, works on helis too. Definitely wow. <laughs> want to see someone try and do that with the blades on. <laughs> do not do that, do that with the blades on. Do not do that with the blades on. Nah, nah, blades off, brother. Yep. yep. Holy shit. <laughs> so yeah, it works like a charm too. It's great. Yeah, I've done that with real cars. Um, just you know, slap yeah. a screwdriver on it and start touching bearings and stuff, and it it does yeah. a good job. You know, 
for sure. Yeah, I've done it with uh, uh, like the the autoscopes and the stethoscopes before on cars, but uh, never even considered doing that on a heli. I bet Devin does it with his wiener scope. Wow! What? It's <laughs> wiener scope. Oh, if he feels a tickle, it's got a bad bearing. Yeah, it's vibrating a lot. Oh, no, don't fix it yet. Not yet. <laughs> We're almost there. Almost there. <laughs> Tail rotor. Oh! <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a good tip, Rob. I never even thought of that before. Yeah, for sure. Oh, thank, oh, thank you very much. What else we got? Uh, so what was that? We just did head block and figuring if it's straight. Something along those lines, too, mentioning what Nick had mentioned prior to the stethoscope. I never thought about it before, but I was watching Nick at a fun fly. Someone just built a helicopter and they picked it up into a hover and it had a shake. I'm like, what the hell? It's a brand new kit. That's crazy. Brought it back down, checked the tracking. Tracking was dead on. And then Nick had mentioned, oh, sometimes the head blocks cannot be on totally straight. And I'm like, what? Or the head can be bent or something like that. So this guy bends down, turns a link half a turn, picks it up into a hover, and that shit's perfect. You can see the tracking's off now, but the helicopter was perfectly steady in the air and the shake went away. That blew my mind. Because I never even considered if your tracking's good and something else is bent in the head that it's going to cause that wiggle, but you can fix it with blades out of track. Like, what? I mean, it makes sense. You're getting a misalignment of lift all the way around each rotation, you know, as that blade with more pitch goes around and it will offset the wiggle. But damn, <laughs> that's that was pretty, crazy. Pretty wild uh, heli engineering. Nick yeah. Maxwell is a genius, though. So go figure. He's like, oh, yeah, that's probably a good thing. It really is. When you compare <laughs> his piloting skills and his engineering background, you know, when he made the heli, it literally like picked the thing up into a hover, stared at it for just a hot second. And then hit hold and then one tiny turn with a crescent wrench and then back into a hover. Like it was literally like instantly knew what direction to change the tracking and then went into full 3D flight within like 10 seconds. Made it was unreal. But nice. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not messing around. I like to hover mine for like six packs before I even get <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I don't trust myself. If it's going to blow up, it's going to blow up. It's going to yeah, make I no difference. That. Yeah. I just don't like a new helicopter to blow up on me. I like it blowing up for a reason. Dude, I feel you, Dan. That's like when you get some new shoes and you do extra, extra care not to get the scuff on it for like a week or two, right? You got to I don't know. I'm like that with new helis too, man. And then once you get that one scuff on it, it's all over then. It's just like, fuck it. Let's just fly this thing now. Yep. Get that first crash out of the way. Do you not feel like it's so much easier to damage something when you try and be too careful with it, though? No, I don't. Oh, no. I always have that no. issue. If I try and protect something, I destroy it. Whereas <laughs> if I just treat it like normal and just act like it's nothing fancy and run with it, like n- it never gets broken. It's like your favorite helicopter versus your pride and joy. You always crash the pride and joy and the helicopter that you beat on every single week, like never goes in. <laughs> it's like that. So. I know what you mean though. Cause I know back in the day, um, I used to really wrestle with, just the just being afraid to crash because of like oh you know, I got to rebuild this or now I got to order new parts and oh it's a big, big hassle and crashing sucks and um I don't know somebody I don't remember who said it but I'm so long ago I'm kind of paraphrasing they're like you know you just got to go out there one time and just fly it you know everybody you hear everybody say it now but way back then it's the first time I heard it they were like you just got to fly it like you stole it 
you know, like it doesn't matter to you. Like it's not even yours, you know, and just fly it and not even worry. And as soon as I did that, Scott's good at that. Right. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I did that, it felt more, I felt way more comfortable on the sticks and stuff. And ironically, like you're saying, I felt less, I felt like less like the thing was just going to fall apart into a big pile of pieces in front of my face. And I just flew it and it was way more fun. I don't know. It's hard to do that sometimes, you know, like right now in the wintertime, there's, I've got like three feet of snow in my backyard. So if I do tank it in there, not only did I crash and have to repair it, but now it's packed full of snow. I've been there when I was younger, dude, fucking crash a heli in the snow and you got to race over there, disconnect the battery quick before you fry out some electronics, run inside and quick start banging and all the, as much snow out of it as you can before it all just turns into a pile of water all over your heli. And then, dude, I used to have this routine where I'd get my air compressor out and be like, psh, 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 right after I flew. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, Dan, I'll just hover around because I just don't want to crash that shit. Yeah, unplug it, hang on the wall, let it drip out and go fly it again tomorrow. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> I have this thing where I need to build like a relationship with a helicopter, right? You know, it's like, um, I just want to know that, that I put it together correctly. I want to feel confident that, that something out of the ordinary isn't going to happen. Yeah. And I can't get that confidence in just a quick minute or two. That makes yeah. sense. You got to make sure the heli likes you. I've been thinking about this an awful lot. And I think what happens is eventually once you've flown for a certain number of years or whatever, they stop becoming like your pride and joy or like an object or something with a soul. And it's a tool at that point. It's a tool to let you like work through your flying sort of thing. So it's like you go to Lowe's and you buy a hammer. Do you take it easy with your new hammer or do you just go whack that fucking nail in the wall? You know, that's kind of how I view helicopters over the past like four years. They're just, they're, they're wrenches, they're hammers, they're tools, they're tools the to do these aerobatic Exactly. They're tools to do these aerobatic maneuvers and, you know, to plow into the ground. Like if it has a scratch on it or whatever, I don't care. It's, you know, my hammer's got a scratch. I don't care. Still works. I feel you there. I've got a couple of my helis that seem to me like they're like my close friend of a helicopter, if that makes sense. But then I've got like my old X5. I've just had it for so long that that's like my little, I don't know, that's my... 500 millimeter blade bulldog you know i just take it out and just disrespect it in the air it seems like you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. and it's i don't care but some of the other ones like it's funny because like this goblin as i've been progressing and growing with it it's like in my mind i pretend that the goblin is learning to trust me on the sticks and i'm learning to trust that it's going to do what i want in the air and we're getting better and better and it's this i don't know it's this obviously all of us do this at some point it's this like fantasy relationship that you have with your machine you give it a, like you said you give it a soul and a spirit or whatever and uh you treat it as such i think dan that's what maybe is that what you're kind of doing with yours or what no it's i just think back you know i don't i haven't i don't have a helicopter right now that i had the same uh for the lack of a better word relationship with than back when i had the cool power 700s and those machines I just flew the piss out of those machines. Like I flew them all the time. I had faith in their ability to, as long as I was keeping up on maintenance, to just consistently fly, consistently not have issues. And I just really trusted them, right? I just, I didn't worry about some anomalous event that is going to cause me to come out of the air. If I was going to come out of the end, trust me, I crashed those machines quite often, right? 
Yeah. But I just really, I really felt like I have not felt since then in tune with a helicopter like I did with those two identical machines. And it was great. But it it started off slow. Like, you know, it's like it took, I don't know, a week or so of flying them to really get that feeling and just like, yep, these are, these are it, man. I, I know these are solid machines. And when I crash, it's going to be a pilot error. It's not going to be a mechanical error, right? I don't know. So maybe I put too much thought into it. Could be. I think so. Could be. Does that answer your question, Rob? Yes, sir. It does. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Like back in the day. Scott doesn't agree. You and the twins, right? So. (laughs) Twins. Yep. So when you first had those, as you were building up your relationship with the two, did you have one that you like liked more than the other one? Well, I don't remember. I mean, I had I had the one, and I just I just remember when I would crash it, I would be disappointed that I would have to wait for parts. So that's why I bought the second and mm, yeah. I set them up exactly the same, and they were just constantly in rotation. When one was down, I would fly the other, and I flew the I man. Did I fly those machines a lot? That's back when I was living at the at the fly field, practically. Right. Yeah. The all day, all night shit. All day. Yeah. Every day. All day. Every day. Gallons and gallons of nitro. It was beautiful. Nick, you would have really liked it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the occasional gasser flight. Yes. Right. Yes. Dude, I can hear it now. Sounds like heaven. It was great. It's great. No, well, is that all we no. got on this one? I, I was just going to add to kind of go back, like Scott talking about detachment with helicopters and them being tools. I really need <laughs> to get there. But what I, what I need to stop doing is stop customizing helicopters and forming emotional bonds with them is what I keep doing. Oh, yeah. Custom paint schemes are the worst. I like custom paint canopies and I add, yeah. you know, Rob Cherry and I cook up some cool idea and he 3D prints some cool side frames and I, you know, Boylock makes some cool graphics and then I'm petrified to crash it. So that's kind of what this logo is. So I've done well in that on the like sixth or seventh flight, I've already stuffed it in once. So, you know, that's okay. I'm not customizing the logo at all, but of course I picked the most expensive helicopter to crash to become emotionally detached from. So that's (laughs) your hammer, Nick. The price of the canopy too. Oh my God. I know. What I really need is like a raw 700 hammer. I should just like, I don't need another helicopter, but that's what I should really do or turn the Puma into that helicopter. Yeah. I swear that's, that's why I fly what I fly. I fly something that it can crash. It doesn't get that unpretty when you damage it. It's really robust when you hit the ground. I just, I like that mentality. Just don't care about it. Cause I used to have like a custom painted Kraken and stuff and the logo 700s, which I love, but I'm terrified to crash them. And I never flew the same, like when I had to be super careful with them, you know, it just something got in my head where it was like, don't crash. Don't you do it. Don't do yeah, something dumb. I get that. And it's when you just don't have that thought and you just do what you do, there's nothing that beats that. It's like what Rob says. It's like that flow state. If you care too much about the helicopter, it's like impossible to get into that flow state because it's always pulling you back out into reality. Yeah, it snaps you out and then you're not fully like in the zone anymore. Yeah, I find it's really, it's it's a strange, it's strange for me because I, I think right you, at this point in my life, I'm m- completely more able to afford a crash than I ever was back when I was flying years ago. 
I don't really consider, I don't really consider it a dollar, you know, like a, a dollar sign in the air. Like I used to, uh, but I still flew a lot harder. And I think, I don't know, getting a little older doesn't help and uh, potentially uh, eyesight, not what it used to be. I, I hand coordination, not what it used to be. But I feel like I should be at that stage because <laughs> so, I don't, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter if I crash. It, it, it's not going to uh, affect me and I can get that helicopter up in the air relatively with no hardship, so to speak, right? So I'm not sure. I think um, I kind of felt that way about the Forza. I, I really, and I, I felt really comfortable with the Forza. Uh, really sad to see that one come yeah. down, but that was the closest machine I had to that relationship, that uh to the cool power 700s for sure um the soxos i still am i'm struggling a little bit with just just the kind of that traditional uh pod and boom it still is a little visually challenging for me i'm pretty excited about yeah. the kraken because i that thing is going to be so visible it, it's it, you know <laughs> you'll be able to see it in town when it's up in the air high enough right it's it's right just crazy visible it was really funny. I was talking to one of your Soxosis the other day, and they said the same thing about you. They're just like, I don't know. He's just so visually challenging. <laughs> <laughs> was that you? I thought I heard somebody in my basement. I thought I, I thought I heard you in my basement. Yeah. What? Help! <laughs> Help! <laughs> now we'll see. I, I again, winter, cold. I it's the wrong time of year. I think to be putting a couple new machines together. Maybe I can put some big girl panties on and, and uh, stop letting the cold weather keep me from wanting to be out flying. But uh, it's, it's not comfortable. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with my warm panties. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're okay with that. You're going to be yep, all right with I'm that. I'm cool with it. Yeah. I'm going to, when I get that, I don't know what the, I don't, has, uh, Nick, have you heard or has anybody heard? I know pre-orders are going to be on the first, but uh, do they have, I haven't checked to see, when that V-Touch is supposed to actually be in. Does it, do we have any ideas? I give any time frames? No, it, it's currently tied to FCC approval. So sometime okay. in Q1 is all they're saying, pre-orders on all the right. first. And I spent all my PayPal funds on RC cars and logo repair. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so I'm currently, you know, rubbing my hands on either side of the credit card, trying to warm it up, getting it ready. Yeah. Well, I already told, I already warned uh, Elaine that uh, that's happening on the first. Warming up, warming up yeah. credit cards. Mine yeah. are over here ticking cool. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, guys. Well, I think uh, unless anybody has anything else they want to add, maybe we should wrap this one up. Yeah, I think we're good. I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of other things you can check in the head, but that was all the things that I've seen bite people and things that cause like intermittent pitch issues when your blades just don't align sometimes and sometimes do obviously right. there's way more things you can break and have go wrong and links that fail and all that shit but broad strokes if you're having your pitch go in and out we've covered everything that that can cause that minus blades i mean you can get blades that do weird shit too but we're not covering that all righty well i think that's about it nick if i wanted to get in touch with you how would i do that uh you can email me at nickwisdom at rchnv3.com or find me on facebook at nickwisdomrc how about you scott you can email me at scott at rchnv3.com, which I need to go check in a few minutes here. Uh, you can get me on Facebook with Scott Graham or Instagram, RC Heligram. 
And you can reach Devin if you wanted to. He's not with us tonight. I mentioned, I don't know, did we even mention, we mentioned he's not here, but we say why he's at work. So he's unable to make it tonight. But you can reach him at Devin at RCHNV3.com. I believe Devin McClellan on Facebook as well. I'm Dan. You can reach me at Dan at RCHNV3. Uh, please check out our webpage, www.RCHNV3.com. Locals, if you're so interested or inclined to do so. And thank you for those that are. Uh, the support is tremendous. We appreciate it. Last but not least, Rob. Denial. Um, so if <laughs> if you want to um, reach out to me, um, you got to do me a favor uh, in order for me to want to answer your question. Um, so what you got to do is um, in the middle of the night, you got to sneak into Scott Graham's heli dungeon and you have to whisper sweet nothings into his helicopter's ears and tell them that uh, even though Scott disrespects them, that there are heli pilots that do care and they do matter um, and that you're going to leave a nice note for Dan, uh, for Scott to give to Dan um, or to give to me. I'm sorry. Um, so then you just tuck your note with your question into one of the heli canopies. Then um, when uh, Scott goes to fly that helicopter, he'll get that note. He'll understand where it came from and he'll th he'll rethink his relationship with that helicopter and read that question and give it to me and then I'll know to answer it. Um, but if you're afraid of confrontation or um, you also treat your helis like hammers and disrespect them and you would rather just email me, uh, you can hit me at rob at rchnv3.com. Um, you can do uh, rob at, uh, I'm on Facebook at uh, nextgenrcfb, uh, Instagram nextgenrc or youtube.com slash nextgenrc. Fantastic. Be nice to your heli, Scott. Jeez. I am nice to them. I just, they're tools. I take care of my tools. You're a but, tool. But they, they take care of me. I take care of them. <laughs> All righty, guys. We sure hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it. Have a good week. We'll see you next time. Happy holidays. See you later. Oh, yeah. Have a good Christmas, everybody. Oh, yeah. Merry yeah. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Even you, you fuck, Devin. Jingle heli, jingle heli, jingle heli crash. Jingle heli crash, and I spend all my cash. Jingle heli, 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 jingle he